Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you're here for the first time, we appreciate you stepping out. I know it's kind of hard to step into a new place. Thanks for doing that. And yeah, if you're joining us online, we're glad you're here too. So before we lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, we lived in Sierra Vista, Arizona. We had a house built down there. And in Arizona, all the houses have the Spanish tile. Well, what I didn't realize is how heavy these tiles are. Um, it was one builder in town, so you kind of follow along and see your house. And in this case, it was a, it was a forklift. Lift them up. And I commented to somebody, said, yeah, hold one of them. They're really heavy. And so that's a lot of weight on your roof. But, you know, I never, when we moved in that house, I never worried that, oh, man, the, uh, the roof's going to collapse while we're sleeping or I'm going to go to work and my wife and two kids are going to be crushed under the thing. I, I just was convinced the trusses underneath it would hold up. So I was able to rest in the strength of those trusses. Well, I want to suggest to you, as we face life's challenges, and it is challenging, and pains, and difficulties, we too can rest in the promises of God. Just like I rested at night, not, not worried about the thing falling down on me, we can rest knowing that life won't cave in us. And I want to talk about why we can rest in God's promises. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that then to 2 Samuel 5 and 6, we're going to go through both these chapters Wrestling with that question, why can we rest in God's promises? If you haven't been with us, let me just get you up to speed. We've been in the books of 1st and now 2nd Samuel. It covers Israel's transition from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. Uh, the people in the promised land were concerned about security. And what they said to God through the prophet Samuel is, we need a king. And God said, no, you don't. What you really need is me. No, we need a king like all the other countries. And God finally said, okay, so you can learn what you need is really me. I'm going to give you your king. And the first king, it was a guy named Saul. And he didn't do so well. Uh, when Saul was anointed as king, the wording was very specific, that you don't have absolute authority here. Uh, your kingship is under my authority. And Saul missed the memo. And on two occasions, he did his own thing. And so at some point, God said, we're moving on. And he anointed a second guy named David. David, who dropped Goliath with the stone, that David. And Saul became very, very jealous of David, very concerned with his growing popularity, and he began to hunt him down. And for uh, 10 to 13 years, depending on how you look at things, David was on the run. Finally, Saul dies in battle. Um, the way is made clear, supposedly, for David's kingship. There's some disagreement in Israel. There's a civil war. Uh, David's forces... Take the war. And now um, we're ready for David to be king. So that's where we are. Before we have David step into being king, I want us to go back to the time when the prophet Samuel anointed David as king. I want to look at those verses. Uh, Samuel was sent by God to Jesse, who had seven sons. And, and he went down the sons. And is this in 1 Samuel 16? And so he's done six of the seven sons, and God has said, no, no king, don't look on the outside, look on the inside, this isn't it. Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he, Jesse says, oh, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he's tending the sheep. I mean, we didn't even think he was worth bringing in. He's a, he's a shepherd boy, but Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, 
for we'll not sit down until he comes here. Because Samuel knew this king was supposed to be out of this, and he'd done all the sons but one. Uh, so, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord says, said, arise, anoint him, the shepherd boy, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So I don't even think, his dad doesn't even think David's worth bringing in. God says, bring him in. And he says, that's, that's my guy. The shepherd boy is going to be king over Israel. What are the odds? How much money are you putting on that? The only thing he's got going for him is God said it was going to happen. And so it has. Chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel, they've been united after the civil war, came to David Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. That's to say, we're family. That's the first reason. You're, you're family. We, we see you as our king. Second, verse 2. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out. And I mean, we got a king because we wanted protection, and the king was supposed to lead us into battle, but you were the one going out, not Saul. So in some ways, you were already fulfilling that role. Second reason there. Third one, and the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. God has said you'll be king. So there's three reasons. We're in on this, David. We're all behind you. Verse three, they work out details. All the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David over king, king over Israel. I'm sure they kind of Duties, king to the people, people to the king, and so it went. Verses 4 and 5, then talk about the length of David's reign. I'll let you lead, read that on your own. Verse 6, now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. So Jerusalem is in the promised land and is inhabited by foreigners, worshiping another god. Um, and they, these people say to David, you shall not come in here. But the blind and the lame will turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here. They, they thought the natural protection of Jerusalem is so good that, hey, we can, lie, we can put uh, the blind and the lame here to defend this, and, and you won't be able to come in. Remember, God's called David to be king, and Jerusalem's going to be the city of David. So here we go, verse 7. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion that is the city of David. And in verse 8, we get a brief description, and it's hard to translate on how this happened. It says this, David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind. Now, the lame and the blind was used literally in verse 6. It's being used metaphorically here in verse 8 to describe those who have rejected God. So what David's saying is we attack the Jebusites, we're attacking people who have rejected God, who are hated by David's soul. How are we going to go through? We're going to go through the water tunnel. And the translation gets tricky here. Did they actually go through the tunnel? Did they cut off their water supply? I don't know, but they took the city. Therefore, they say, the blind or the lame shall not come into the house. They're talking about the temple. Those who have rejected God, metaphorically the blind and the lame, are not going to come into God's presence. Uh, verse 9 then, David takes up residence in Jerusalem. And verse 10 says, David became greater and greater. Why? For the Lord God of hosts was with him. This was God's plan. 
since he was a shepherd boy. Guess what? He's starting to flourish. We'll get one evidence of that flourishing here in verse 11. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. This king's trying to get in good with David. Hey, I'm just going to send you some raw materials. I'm going to send you some workers. We're going to build you a house. How many would you like that? Hey, I'm just going to build you a house. That's a good deal. Um, Verse 12, and David realized, what did he realize? That the Lord, remember the promise made in 1 Samuel 16, 11 to 13? The Lord had established him as king over Israel, and he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So, so David's in place because God decided he was going to be in place. But it wasn't for David to do his thing. No, this was for the kingdom of God and the people of God, for the name and reputation of God that God is exalting David. But all is not good with David. Verses 13 through 16 talk about David taking more concubines and wives. And if you've been with us, every time David adds wives, I reference Deuteronomy 17, 17, which says, before they came into the promised land, the king should not multiply wives for himself. And I point out that David is flaunting this, and he keeps taking wives because you're the king, and that's what you can do. And apparently he's getting away with it. Hang with me, about four weeks, this will blow up in David's face. It's never a good idea to thumb our nose at the word of God. In short term, we may be able to pull it off, but long term, there's consequences to that. We'll see about that in about a month. Meantime, David's in Jerusalem, but remember the Philistines are out there. They're the kind of ever-present, ubiquitous enemy. And they hear about David, and they, they don't like Israel consolidating, so they're going to come up against him. Verse 17, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. That means they went to seek his life. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. Then David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal-perism and defeated them there, and he said, The Lord, not me, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore he named the place Baal-perism. They abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away, not to worship, but as a sign of victory. But the Philistines aren't done. They're going to come up a second time. That starts in verse 22. Now the Philistines came up, once again, and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, you shall not go directly up. We're going to do it differently this time, David. Instead, circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. When? It shall be. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall act promptly. Why? For then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. And David did so just as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Jeba as far as Gezer. This is about David following the Lord. We do this, we go directly this time, we come around on an ambush the other time, you wait to hear the sound of marching in trees, then you go, and David says, I'm in. And God is establishing his kingdom in Jerusalem. So David thinks, okay, I'm in Jerusalem. 
ought to bring the ark up. The ark is the symbol of the presence of God. It's where God's people go to meet him. So we're going to bring the ark up. And so they start doing that in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And I'll, I'll let you read that on your own. Only to summarize in verse 5 saying this. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood and with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But, verse 6, there's a problem. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. And many of us would say, why would you wreck a party like this? That really ticks me off. And David's mad. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And, verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? This thing's dangerous. So, verse 10, and David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city today with him, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Wouldn't you like to have been Obed-Edom, the Gittite? The ark's going to stay here. It just killed somebody. But, verse 11, thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obadem and all his household. So what do we make of that? The ark's not the problem. The presence of God is not the problem. Because rightly revered, this household's being blessed. But the other guys, man, they touched it and they, they died. What do we take from that? We, we need to make sure... We're relating with God properly. He is the friend who's closer than the brother. He's the Abba Father. He's the one who weeps with us like he weeped when Lazarus died. He's that God. But he's also Almighty God. He was there at creation. He spoke you and he spoke me into existence. And we live this tension of this close, intimate God, and he's all-powerful. Worthy of our reverence, worthy of our fear. You know, it's hard to capture this in a human illustration, but let me try. So we were at a, in a military town, and we had a number of soldiers go to our church when we were in Arizona. So I would say to these soldiers, can I come visit you on post? Yeah, absolutely. I want to see what you do. And these guys were enlisted. So I would go, and I'd see these soldiers, and I was amazed at the collegiality with the officers. The lieutenant was in charge. It'd be, hey, LT. I mean, there was a, hey, LT, how's it going? I mean, there was a good banter, rapport. It was not this far-off thing. But we also, when we lived in Sierra Vista, had a, a married couple. They were captains. They lived right across the street from us. We got to know them a little bit. And I remember one time I was over there, or she was over, and she was on a call talking to her first sergeant. And she kept referring to him as Paul, Paul this, Paul yes, Paul that, Paul this. And so she hung up, and I said, does he ever call you by your first name? Absolutely not. He refers to me as captain or ma'am. There is a hierarchy in the military that we need to recognize for this thing. Yeah, there's a collegiality, but there's a hierarchy too. And we need to recognize authority. When Hope would go on post and visit with wives, a lot of times they were enlisted wives, but on the pool, the, the enlisted wives were on one side, and the officers' wives were on another. 
There was a tension there. There was collegiality, and yet there was an authority structure. I would say that needs to be true in our relationship with God. He's intimate. He loves you. He wants to walk with you. But let's not get too familiar with him. He's Almighty God. He's holy, and he demands some things. And would be good not to trifle with him. So David's learning that, and he figures out the problem ain't with the ark. The problem's with my response to God. Having settled that, he brings the ark into Jerusalem. Verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all the belongings to him on account of the ark of God. So the problem's not with the ark. David went up and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Catch verse 13. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. He's got it. We need to reverence God in the presence of God. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now look, usually when the ephod comes out, David's in trouble because he's seeking God's direction because people might turn him over or the people are about to stone him. And we see the ephod come out and we think, oh dear, David must be in trouble. But that's not the case here. David is using the ephod to seek God because he wants to worship him. And so that's what he does. He's coming into God's presence, not to request, but to worship him. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord and shouting in the sound of the trumpet. What's going on? Remember 2 Samuel 5, verse 12? David's realized he's king because God's put him there. He's living this blessing because God has put him there. He has come from shepherd boy against all odds, 13 years of the king of Israel chasing around because God said it was so. He built his life on the promise of God. David realized against all odds, the promises of God, they always hold up. They always hold up. See, see we're, we're wrestling with this question, why can we rest in God's promises? Here we go. Here we go. We can rest in God's promises because they always hold up. They, they always hold up. Remember me in the house with the heavy Spanish tile? And I was never sweating that. Why? Because the trust is that they always hold up. They always hold up. Okay? So this is not just history for you and me. Okay, this is the divinely inspired word of God taught to us for our good. This is another reminder that God is faithful. David is one in the line of people who bet their life on the promises of God and they held up. So the hope is you and I go, oh, 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 David, God's promises to David held up. So will God's promises to me. And the promises that are in this word, they hold up. You can count on them. Look, when we moved into our house, uh, we were the last one on Chaparral Loop. There was just one builder in Sierra Vista. It was a town of 50,000. You know, one of the things that gave me confidence, all those houses, well, they, they'd held up. <laughs> no roofs had <laughs> caved in. So I thought if <laughs> all those other houses are good, Ours ought to be good too. Does that make sense? The Bible is full of God's faithfulness to people, not so we know history, but so we apply it. God was faithful then, God will be faithful now. In your health situation, 
in your conflict that's not resolved, in your job situation. God promises to be faithful, to meet your needs, to, to meet your need for intimacy, to meet your... Well, what, what, what about... Man, man, the load is heavy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the promises of God, history has shown, they always hold up. They always hold up. Well, not everybody's happy about what's going on. There's one cranky person. Verse 16. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Remember, David basically won Michael for evidence of killing 100 Philistines. Uh, She helped him escape her father, but then she left him and married another man. David demanded her back because he wanted somebody from the house of Saul in his household. But now she's critical of him. She's despising him. Uh, Verses 17 through 19 are details about the ark and the sacrifices. I'll let you read that on your own. But verse 20 says this, But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, sarcastically, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servant maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me over your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord and I will celebrate unabashedly and unashamedly. You know what? If it makes me look lesser in other people's eyes, no thing. Verse 22. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in mine own eyes. But, here's the other side of it. With the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. I will humble myself. I will lower myself before the Lord. But he will raise me up. And in fact, in the past we've seen that the people have sung of David killing his Tens of thousands. The result, verse 23, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. I think the narrator just puts that in there to know that the the houses of Saul and the houses of David were never linked. Is this the judgment of God? Is it because David didn't have a union with her? We don't know. But I think what the narrator wants to communicate is that the house of David was free of the house of Saul. So the promises of God, they hold up. Take a shepherd boy who had no shot and made him king. And, and he'll have an eternal kingdom, we'll find out, that the seed of Jesus will, will come through him, his seed. And so God took David and brought him to a position. You know, God wants to do the same thing in your life and my life. Now, it's not about a position. It's not about being a CEO. It's not about this. It's not about being this, a star, or that, or anything. But it's talking about a quality of life. See, we live in a world in which we say we're the land of the free, America. And I would say outwardly we are, but inwardly we're not. We're as enslaved as we could be. We need the newest phone, and we need this thing, and we've got to see that, and we've got to go on that vacation. We've got to do this thing. We've got to do that. And, 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 and we're, we're controlled by these lusts, these longings. And Peter, when he wrote to his listeners, readers, said, God has given us precious promises to lift us out of that. Let's look at 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now catch this. For by these, he, had granted, he has granted to us, what? His precious and magnificent promises. So by them, you and I may become partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean we become God, but we begin to share in his character. In what? And that we don't need the affirmation of the world. We don't need the stuff of the world. We don't need the things of the world. We begin to take on some of that nature. <clears throat> Doing what? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. God wants to give you and he wants to give me a quality of life that is not available. And it gets ruined, God's design. Because we get sucked into wanting this and wanting that and wanting this status and wanting this purchase and that trip and this, this, that, and that, and, and we're enslaved. God says, I've got promises, precious, precious and magnificent promises that you can bank on, that they'll hold up, that can begin to lift you out of those things. My question is, do you know those promises? Are you familiar with them? They're here. They're in the Word of God. That's why we beseech you, we beg you every Sunday to be reading from this daily. That's why we go through it every Sunday. We might be exposed to the promises of God. We can't hold on to them if we don't know them. Are you taking time to be in the Word of God? Second, do you believe them? Man, there's times life gets hard, doesn't it? And it has been, you've been praying and you've been hoping on this situation and that situation forever, and it's just, are they really true? Can I really count on them? And there, I'd ask that you cry out to Jesus, give me the faith that even at the cross, Jesus held on to the faithfulness of the Father, that he would redeem the crucifixion, which he did. Because it says now that every knee bow and every tongue has confessed that Jesus is Lord. That's what the Father did at the cross. And, and so... Sometimes the outcomes aren't what we want. I will admit that. But that doesn't change the faithfulness and goodness and trustworthiness of God, that we would hang on to those promises. So we've been in town, Lincoln, 20 and a half years-ish. Uh, when we came to town, our kids were one and four. And one of the, uh, as the boys got a little older, uh, Saturday, kids were with me. And uh, for about eight years, every Saturday, you could find us, or 50 out of 52 Saturdays, you could find us at the Gear Public Library. And I would take the two boys in, and one would go to the geography section, and one would go to the sci-fi section, and we would have a great morning. Uh, on this particular morning, I think they were maybe fifth and second grade, fourth and first grade, something like that. One library staff came to me and said, sir, we've got a couple of kids that are pretty upset. Might they be your kids? Well, I don't know. Let's see. Sure enough, yep, they're mine. And I thanked the lady, and then when she left, one of the boys said to me, we thought you left. Oh, man, I'd never leave you. So I got down on the knee. I want to get down their level. I said, boys, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. I will never walk out that door without you. Do you understand? I will never walk out that door without you. I need you to bank on that. 
See, as an earthly father, I wanted my kids to enjoy their time in the library. And if they're thinking, Dad may split on us, that makes it a little stressful. But if they believe Dad would never leave without me, then, then they can relax, can't they? That, that promise will hold up. If that's true with an earthly father, how much more with your and my heavenly father? He wants you. And he'll do anything he can to get you to believe he's trustworthy. He'll never, never, he'll never bail on you. You believe him? You take him at his word. As much as I wanted my sons that day to take hold of that, God wants you infinitely more to take hold of that. Would we be people who are growing our faith? Say, yeah, we can rest in the promises of God. Why? Because they always, they always hold up. Would you pray with me, our Father in heaven? We're grateful for uh, the evidence of your faith in the life of David. Shepherd boy to king. Yeah, that's a pretty long shot. Uh, but you called your shot and <laughs> you made it happen. Thanks, Lord, that uh, as much as David celebrated you, we can celebrate you infinitely more. Thanks that um, the ultimate show of your commitment to us came with Jesus at the cross. You would not take no for a relationship, so you offered your son that we might be able to take hold of the magnificent and precious promises of God. We're grateful for that certainty. We build our life on it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.